Part three, chapter four of A Key to Uncle Tom's Cabin by Harriet Beecher Stowe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Chapter four, part two of two the slave trade in the debates of the virginia convention in eighteen twenty nine judge upshur said quote, the value of slaves as an article of property depends much on the state of the market abroad in this view it is the value of land abroad and not of land here which furnishes the ratio nothing is more fluctuating than the value of slaves a late law of louisiana reduced their value twenty five per cent in two hours after its passage was known if it should be our lot as i trust it will be to acquire the country of texas their price will rise again hon philip doddridge of virginia in his speech in the virginia convention in eighteen twenty nine debates page eighty nine said the acquisition of texas will greatly enhance the value of the property in question namely virginia slaves rev dr graham of fayetteville north carolina at a colonization meeting held at that place in the fall of eighteen thirty seven said there were nearly seven thousand slaves offered in new orleans market last winter from virginia alone six thousand were annually sent to the south and from virginia and north carolina there had gone to the south in the last twenty years three hundred thousand slaves hon henry clay of kentucky in his speech before the colonization society in eighteen twenty nine says it is believed that nowhere in the farming portion of the united states would slave labor be generally employed if the proprietor were not tempted to raise slaves by the high price of the southern markets which keeps it up in his own the new york journal of commerce of october twelfth eighteen thirty five contains a letter from a virginian whom the editor calls a very good and sensible man asserting that twenty thousand slaves had been driven to the south from virginia that year but little more than three-fourths of which had then elapsed mr golson of virginia in his speech in the legislature of that state january eighteenth eighteen thirty one see the richmond whig says it has always perhaps erroneously been considered by steady and old-fashioned people that the owner of land had a reasonable right to its annual profits the owner of orchards to their annual fruits the owner of brood mares to their product and the owner of female slaves to their increase we have not the fine-spun intelligence nor legal acumen to discover the technical distinctions drawn by gentlemen that is the distinction between female slaves and brood mares the legal maxim of partus sequitur ventrum is coeval with the existence of the right of property itself and is founded in wisdom and justice it is on the justice and inviolability of this maxim that the master forgoes the service of the female slave has her nursed and attended during the period of her gestation and raises the helpless infant offspring the value of the property justifies the expense and i do not hesitate to say that in its increase consists much of our wealth 
can any comment on the state of public sentiment produced by slavery equal the simple reading of this extract if we remember that it was spoken in the virginia legislature one would think the cold cheek of washington would redden in its grave for shame that his native state had sunk so low that there were virginian hearts to feel this disgrace is evident from the following reply of mr faulkner to mr golson in the virginia house of delegates eighteen thirty two see the richmond whig but he mr golson has labored to show that the abolition of slavery would be impolitic because your slaves constitute the entire wealth of the state all the productive capacity virginia possesses and sir as things are i believe he is correct he says that the slaves constitute the entire available wealth of eastern virginia is it true that for two hundred years the only increase in the wealth and resources of virginia has been a remnant of the natural increase of this miserable race can it be that on this increase she places her sole dependence until i heard these declarations i had not fully conceived the horrible extent of this evil these gentlemen state the fact which the history and present aspect of the commonwealth but too well sustain what sir have you lived for two hundred years without personal effort or productive industry in extravagance and indolence sustained alone by the return from the sales of the increase of slaves and retaining merely such a number as your now impoverished lands can sustain as stock mr thomas jefferson randolph in the virginia legislature used the following language liberty bell page twenty quote, i agree with gentlemen in the necessity of arming the state for internal defense i will unite with them in any effort to restore confidence to the public mind and to conduce to the sense of the safety of our wives and our children yet sir i must ask upon whom is to fall the burden of this defence not on the lordly masters of their hundred slaves who will never turn out except to retire with their families when danger threatens no sir it is to fall upon the less wealthy class of our citizens chiefly upon the non-slaveholder i have known patrols turn out where there was not a slaveholder among them and this is the practice of the country i have slept in times of alarm quiet in bed without having a thought of care while these individuals owning none of this property themselves were patrolling under a compulsory process for a pittance of seventy-five cents per twelve hours the very curtilage of my house and guarding that property which was alike dangerous to them and myself after all this is but an expedient as this population becomes more numerous it becomes less productive your guard must be increased until finally its profits will not pay for the expense of its subjection slavery has the effect of lessening the free population of a country the gentleman has spoken of the increase of the female slaves being a part of the profit it is admitted but no great evil can be averted no good attained without some inconvenience it may be questioned how far it is desirable to foster and encourage this branch of profit it is a practice and an increasing practice in parts of virginia to rear slaves for market 
how can an honorable mind a patriot and a lover of his country bear to see this ancient dominion rendered illustrious by the noble devotion and patriotism of her sons in the cause of liberty converted into one grand menagerie where men are to be reared for the market like oxen for the shambles is it better is it not worse than the slave trade that trade which enlisted the labor of the good and wise of every creed and every clime to abolish it the trader receives the slave a stranger in language aspect and manners from the merchant who has brought him from the interior the ties of father mother husband and child have all been rent in twain before he receives him his soul has become callous but here sir individuals whom the master has known from infancy whom he has seen sporting in the innocent gambols of childhood who have been accustomed to look to him for protection he tears from the mother's arms and sells into a strange country among strange people subject to cruel taskmasters he has attempted to justify slavery here because it exists in africa and has stated that it exists all over the world upon the same principle he could justify mohammedanism with its plurality of wives petty wars for plunder robbery and murder and any other of the abominations and enormities of savage tribes does slavery exist in any part of civilized europe no sir in no part of it the calculations in the volume from which we have been quoting were made in the year eighteen forty one since that time the area of the southern slave market has been doubled and the trade has undergone a proportional increase southern papers are full of its advertisements it is in fact the great trade of the country from the single port of baltimore in the last two years a thousand and thirty-three slaves have been shipped to the southern market as is apparent from the following report of the custom-house officer abstract of the number of vessels cleared in the district of baltimore for southern ports having slaves on board from january first eighteen fifty one to november twentieth eighteen fifty two i will here summarize the data various vessels comprised of sloops barks ships and schooners of various names bound for norfolk virginia new orleans aquaria creek virginia charleston and savannah total of one thousand and thirty three slaves if we look back to the advertisements we shall see that the traders take only the younger ones between the ages of ten and thirty but this is only one port and only one mode of exporting for multitudes of them are sent in coffles over land and yet mr j thornton randolph represents the negroes of virginia as living in pastoral security smoking their pipes under their own vines and fig trees the venerable patriarch of the flock declaring that he never had here such a thing as a nigger sold to georgia in all his life unless that nigger did something very bad an affecting picture of the consequences of this traffic upon both master and slave is drawn by the committee of the volume from which we have quoted the writer cannot conclude this chapter better than by the language which they have used quote, this system bears with extreme severity upon the slave it subjects him to a perpetual fear of being sold to the sole driver 
which to the slave is the realization of all conceivable woes and horrors more dreaded than death an awful apprehension of this fate haunts the poor sufferer by day and by night from his cradle to his grave suspense hangs like a thundercloud over his head he knows that there is not a passing hour whether he wakes or sleeps which may not be the last that he shall spend with his wife and children every day or week some acquaintance is snatched from his side and thus the consciousness of his own danger is kept continually awake surely my turn will come next is his harrowing conviction for he knows that he was reared for this as the ox for the yoke or the sheep for the slaughter in this aspect the slave's condition is truly indescribable suspense even when it relates to an event of no great moment and endureth but for a night is hard to bear but when it broods over all absolutely all that is dear chilling the present with its deep shade and casting its awful gloom over the future it must break the heart such is the suspense under which every slave in the breeding states lives it poisons all his little lot of bliss if a father he cannot go forth to his toil without bidding a mental farewell to his wife and children he cannot return weary and worn from the field with any certainty that he shall not find his home robbed and desolate nor can he seek his bed of straw and rags without the frightful misgiving that his wife may be torn from his arms before morning should a white stranger approach his master's mansion he fears that the soul driver has come and awaits in terror the overseer's mandate you are sold follow that man there is no being on earth whom the slaves of the breeding state regard with so much horror as the trader he is to them what the prowling kidnapper is to their less wretched brethren in the wilds of africa the master knows this and there is no punishment so effectual to secure labor or deter from misconduct as the threat of being delivered to the soul driver footnote this horribly expressive appellation is in common use among the slaves of the breeding states End of footnote. another consequence of this system is the prevalence of licentiousness this is indeed one of the foul features of slavery everywhere but it is especially prevalent and indiscriminate where slave breeding is conducted as a business it grows directly out of the system and is inseparable from it the pecuniary inducement to general pollution must be very strong since the larger the slave increase the greater the master's gains and especially since the mixed blood demands a considerably higher price than the pure black the remainder of the extract contains specifications too dreadful to be quoted we can only refer the reader to the volume we have been quoting from page thirteen the poets of america true to the holy soul of their divine art have shed over some of the horrid realities of this trade the pathetic light of poetry longfellow and whittier have told us in verses beautiful as strung pearls yet sorrowful as a mother's tears some of the incidents of this unnatural and ghastly traffic for the sake of a common humanity let us hope that the first extract describes no common event the quadroon girl by henry wesworth longfellow the slaver in the broad lagoon lay moored with idle sail he waited for the rising moon and for the evening gale 
under the shore his boat was tied and all her listless crew watched the gray alligator slide into the still bayou odors of orange flowers and spice reached them from time to time like airs that breathe from paradise upon a world of crime the planter under his roof of thatch smoked thoughtfully and slow the slaver's thumb was on the latch he scorned in haste to go he said my ship at anchor rides in yonder broad lagoon i only wait the evening tides and the rising of the moon before them with her face upraised in timid attitude like one half curious half amazed a quadroon maiden stood her eyes were large and full of light her arms and neck were bare no garment she wore save a kirtle bright and her own long raven hair and on her lips there played a smile as holy meek and faint as lights in some cathedral aisle the features of a saint the soil is barren the farm is old the thoughtful planter said then looked upon the slaver's gold and then upon the maid his heart within him was at strife with such accursed gains for he knew whose passions gave her life whose blood ran in her veins but the voice of nature was too weak he took the glittering gold then pale as death grew the maiden's cheek her hands as icy cold the slaver led her from the door he led her by the hand to be his slave and paramour in a strange and distant land and now this poem the farewell of a virginia slave mother to her daughters sold into southern bondage by john g whittier gone gone sold and gone to the rice swamp dank and lone where the slave whip ceaseless swings where the noisome insect stings where the fever demon strews poison with the falling dews where the sickly sunbeams glare through the hot and misty air gone gone sold and gone to the rice swamp dank and lone from virginia's hills and waters woe is me my stolen daughters gone gone sold and gone to the rice swamp dank and lone there no mother's eye is near them there no mother's ear can hear them never when the torturing lash seams their back with many a gash shall a mother's kindness bless them or a mother's arms caress them gone 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 sold and gone to the rice swamp dank and lone oh when weary sad and slow from the fields at night they go faint with toil and racked with pain to their cheerless homes again there no brother's voice shall greet them there no father's welcome meet them gone 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 sold and gone to the rice swamp dank and lone from the tree whose shadow lay on their childhood's place of play from the cool spring where they drank rock and hill and rivulet bank from the solemn house of prayer and the holy councils there gone 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 sold and gone to the rice swamp dank and lone toiling through the weary day and at night the spoilers pray oh that they had earlier died sleeping calmly side by side where the tyrant's power is o'er and the fetter galls no more 
gone 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 sold and gone to the rice swamp dank and lone by the holy love he beareth by the bruised reed he spareth o oh, may he to whom alone all their cruel wrongs are known still their hope and refuge prove with a more than mother's love gone 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 the following extract from a letter of dr bailey in the era eighteen forty seven presents a view of this subject more creditable to some virginia families may the number that refuse to part with slaves except by emancipation increase Quote, the sale of slaves to the south is carried to a great extent the slaveholders do not so far as i can learn raise them for that special purpose but here is a man with a score of slaves located on an exhausted plantation it must furnish support for all but while they increase its capacity of supply decreases the result is he must emancipate or sell but he has fallen into debt and he sells to relieve himself from debt and also from an excess of mouths or he requires money to educate his children or his negroes are sold under execution from these and other causes large numbers of slaves are continually disappearing from the state so that the next census will undoubtedly show a marked diminution of the slave population the season for this trade is generally from november to april and some estimate that the average number of slaves passing by the southern railroad weekly during that period of six months is at least two hundred a slave trader told me that he had known one hundred pass in a single night but this was only one route large numbers are sent off westwardly and also by sea coastwise the davises in petersburg are the great slave dealers they are jews who came to that place many years ago as poor peddlers and i am informed are members of a family which has its representatives in philadelphia new york etc these men are always in the market giving the highest prices for slaves during the summer and fall they buy them up at low prices trim shave wash them fatten them so that they may look sleek and sell them to great profit it might not be unprofitable to inquire how much northern capital and what firms in some of the northern cities are connected with this detestable business there are many planters here who cannot be persuaded to sell their slaves they have far more than they can find work for and could at any time obtain a high price for them the temptation is strong for they want more money and fewer dependents but they resist it and nothing can induce them to part with a single slave though they know that they would be greatly the gainers in a pecuniary sense were they to sell one half of them such men are too good to be slaveholders would that they might see it their duty to go one step further and become emancipators the majority of this class of planters are religious men and this is the class to which generally are to be referred the various cases of emancipation by will of which from time to time we hear accounts end of part three chapter four the slave trade